Welcome to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast with Dr. Nuno Carrero, where we explore career opportunities and discuss contemporary topics within the field of veterinary and animal science. Hello, everyone. With me today is Dr. Deborah Thompson. She's a veterinarian and founder and president of One Health Lessons, which is dedicated to developing One Health Lessons for children and adults. Before becoming a veterinarian, Dr. Thompson taught music in a primary school and was a full-time instructor of English language learners between the ages of 11 and 65. Dr. Thompson, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I'm really excited to have you here on the show because this podcast is dedicated to educating pre-college and undergraduate students about the many opportunities in veterinary and animal sciences. But we should also include anyone that is looking or considering uh, a second career in veterinary medicine. You have a background in teaching. Could you begin by sharing what inspired you to pursue a teaching career? Ah, thank you for that. So when I was in my undergraduate programs, I took a year at Rhode Island College because I'm from Southern New England, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. And I was a student at Rhode Island College for the first year. And there I was tutoring my fellow students uh, in math. And I was tutoring uh, secondary career students as well who want to, you know, jump into education and, and go from there. And I fell in love with the idea of teaching. I loved it. <laughs> and it, what's really, really rewarding is to see that your conversations with people can make their goals achievable. So say if somebody needed to pass a certain test in calculus, okay, well, working together, they actually got a 95%, right? It's very rewarding. And then when I was in, then I transferred to McGill University up in Canada, in Montreal. And there, one of the ways that I could make money was I was teaching on the side in uh, elementary school in downtown Montreal. And I was a music student. I did actually two bachelor's degrees. <laughs> I did one in music and then one in science. And I was teaching primary school students when they were doing their sectional work. And I was teaching private students. Some of my private students were you know, young kids, but I also had a 30 something year old and he just always wanted to learn flute. So, so we did it and I was teaching him how to read music and we just started from scratch. And again, teaching is just a very rewarding experience on all fronts. It can be frustrating, but it can be rewarding. <laughs> and then after graduating from undergrad for, with my two, two bachelors, then I moved to Quebec City. And that's where I was teaching full time in a middle school. And my students, I call them my kids because that's, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah, we all do. We love our students. Exactly. So, um, my kids were anywhere between the ages of 11 and 16, and they were all English language learners. Great. So here you are teaching. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit how how did you end up considering pursuing a career as a veterinarian? So how, how, when did that thought first enter your mind? Right. That's a good question. So I decided when I was 21 that I wanted to be a vet. <laughs> a little bit later than all my other classmates, it seemed, who you know, came out of the womb and they wanted to be a vet. <laughs> right? right. Later, but not too late. And that's, that's a really good lesson for anyone listening is that, um, you know, you can always join the profession. There's no age limit. Right. No, absolutely not at an age limit. I had a friend in vet school who was a lawyer for 20 years before he switched to being a vet. So um, I, when I was in vet school, I remember people were in their 40s, 50s. Um, I think in the 50s were, was the oldest uh, classmate of mine. But still, the point is, if you want it, just apply until you get it. <laughs> it's as, as simple, but as frustrating as that. Just keep applying. Um, and then when, why I wanted to be a vet, I guess, was your underlying question on that one. So I am a very curious person in general. I was thinking during my undergrad, sure, maybe music, but not really. I was doing it because everybody else in my family was doing music and everybody has a bachelor's degree in music. So if your last name is Thompson, you kind of have to have a bachelor's in music. That's just, that's just the way my family is. Some people work with sports, other people work with arts, music. So my family's in music. Um, but I was thinking maybe I could be a statistician, maybe I would be an architect, maybe I would be a sociologist, maybe a physician, you know, a human doctor. Ultimately, when I followed around some veterinarians and I realized that as a vet, with my single action of helping animals, I could then also help the people who are relying on these animals with just one action. I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. So, so yeah. that's what triggered the interest, huh? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And for those listening, sometimes uh, students think, you know, I, I want to be a veterinarian because I want to help animals. But as, as you found out, we're helping people just as much and sometimes more. Yeah. yeah. There, when I was uh, in 2018 working with people who had their lives just flipped upside down because of the fires in California, I was deployed um, with the California Veterinary Medical Reserve Corps. And I was meeting people who rushed back to their homes, rushed back to their trailers to save their parakeets and rabbits because that's what they lived for. Right that strong human animal bond again just another great facet of our profession and, and why we love to be in it so you went you so you ended up going to vet school to pursue that uh, what did you end up doing when you first graduated from from vet school right so in vet school i guess i'll take a step back for a second in vet school i got my veterinary degree my doctor of veterinary medicine degree but i also got a certificate in international veterinary medicine which was now looking back one of the first one health programs there was in the world it just wasn't called one health because people didn't that that wasn't really a thing to call it when I was a student in veterinary school. However, because of that program, I learned what One Health was. And that's when my the light bulb went up over my head. I'm like, holy cow, my life makes sense. Okay, <laughs> what can I do from here? 
Um, but vet school's uh, incredibly expensive and I needed to put a roof over my head. So I couldn't just go into, um, I couldn't just go into what my dream would be. And we'll talk about that later. Um, I needed to figure out how to, uh, you know, pay my bills and, and work through life. So I, at that point, I went to an internship um, where I was doing a lot of emergency work, emergency medicine. Um, we rotated through small animal, mainly cats and dogs, um, emergency surgery, internal medicine, radiology. And so that lasted a year. It was like 80, 90 hour work weeks. Um, so it was rough. <laughs> sounds, sounds like sounds like an internship, yeah. It was rough. <laughs> and then after that, I um, then I went into clinical practice, general practice. So if people don't know what general practice means, think of it like family medicine, but for veterinarians. So we get to see a lot of things and do a lot of things. And that's another thing that I like about vet med. We can do so much with this one degree. Absolutely. So let, let's transition to talking about One Health Lessons. I, I, I first heard about One Health Lessons pretty much as soon as it was launched. And I also heard you speak at the World Veterinary Association Congress back in April of 2020. So I was just so taken and inspired by, your, um, by, to, by what you were doing and by your, your vision and mission and um, especially, you know, wanting to concentrate on the early ages, which I think is really important. Um, let's begin first for our listeners that may not have heard of, of the term One Health. Could you describe what that means? Absolutely. One Health can be described in two different ways. I say that the One Health concept is the connection between our health, animal health, the environment, and plants. Right? A sick environment can cause sick people. Some people call it common sense. <laughs> Other people call it One Health. <laughs> the One Health approach is teamwork between people who have different strengths, different abilities, and we work together to make sure that everybody stays healthy on the planet, be it animals, people, the environment, plants. And that's what One Health is. Great, I think that's a great description. So when did you first start to conceptualize One Health Lessons? Can you take us through that journey? And what is the vision and mission of One Health Lessons? Thank you. Well, in 2008, when I first heard the term One Health, that's when it was born in my head. It just took me a while to get it going. <laughs> the mission of One Health Lessons is to inspire every child and adult on the planet to value One Health. Now, when I have been a full-time clinician, veterinary clinician working in hospitals, I typically do 10 to 12 hour shifts. And then for the last several years, I've been going home after those shifts and creating lessons for children about One Health. And because of my teaching background, I know what works, I know what doesn't work. And because of my veterinary background, I know about One Health and I'm certainly passionate about it. Something that I didn't necessarily mention earlier is that at McGill, when I was doing a bachelor's of science, it was technically in biology, but it was very heavy on ecology. And one of the professions I was thinking about entering was ecology. I wanted to be an ecologist. 
But for one reason or another, I decided to go uh, the veterinary route. But I also thought, okay, well, maybe as a veterinarian, I could work with conservation. I could work in the field. I could work with wildlife, you know, things like that. And One Health really brings everything together, right? That's when veterinarians are working with ecologists and we're working with physicians and we're working with public health specialists and politicians. We're all bringing something to the table, right? To the conversation. And with that conversation, that's how we can solve some major problems in this world, particularly health problems like a pandemic. Great. Can you... Um... Can, can we dive in into the lessons themselves? Can you describe kind of the framework and how it works and um, when people go and visit the website, what to expect? Sure. The website is onehealthlessons.com. Lessons is plural. So onehealthlessons.com. And in that website, you'll be able to see um, there's an about page where it talks about a lot of interns and uh, my background. There's a section for webinars that you can click on. Um, there's teacher and parent feedback of these lessons. And there are the lessons themselves. Those lessons, they're divided into different categories. Uh, there's the COVID-19 lessons. And then there's other lessons that will be put up eventually that have to do with vector-borne diseases. And what I mean by that is things like mosquito or flea or, or tick-borne diseases. Um, there's food-borne diseases. And the last one is water-focused One Health lessons. So water-borne diseases. In the lessons section, in the COVID-19 One Health lessons section, you'll be able to find seven different age-appropriate lessons of uh, COVID-19, and it teaches children and adults, number one, where the virus, SARS-CoV-2, likely came from. Number two, how can we protect ourselves today? Number three, what scientists of various different backgrounds are doing together to make people and families safe in the future. Also, what's a vaccine? And also, what are mutations? These are all interactive lessons and they're built on a PowerPoint format. And I did that because I wanted to make sure that children around the world, regardless of their ability, regardless of their location on the planet, regardless of their access to internet, they can just download the PowerPoint and print it out and appreciate the same quality of education throughout the world. And I created OneHealthLessons.com not for the English-speaking world. I created One Health Lessons for the world. And just two weeks after launching OneHealthLessons.com, uh, this was in May of 2020, I put out the announcement asking for anybody out there on social media, is there anybody out there interested in translating a lesson? Right now, there are about 600 translators today translating the COVID-19 lesson into the last count I got was 79 languages. And that can be from anywhere between French and Spanish to Chinese to German to Hindi to Bahasa and Turkish and Arabic, like it's all over the map. And wow. that's the goal. <laughs> wow, that is that is amazing. So 
Uh, so these volunteers, I'm assuming they're located all over the world and they just contacted you and, and providing their expertise and time? Yes, it's all 100% volunteer. And it's just, there's no way we can stop at this point. There are so many people who appreciate and value what One Health Lesson stands for, that it has to be big, right? We have to make this a truly global thing. And say, for instance, we have every single uh, lesson translated into Spanish. So that means all of the all of the countries that have Spanish as a first or even second language can benefit from these lessons. It's pretty mind blowing. I'm so grateful for the volunteers around the world. Right. And that just seems like many, many volunteers. What was what was maybe your inspiration for doing that versus just maybe having a small team of interns uh, translating various lessons? Right. And some people also ask me, what about Google Translate? Yeah, that would be simple, right? <laughs> but, but it's not the same thing as people actually translating lessons because the people understand what works and what doesn't work on the ground in their communities. There's, especially for the older students, a portion that covers about wet markets. And you know, there's a lot of cultural sensitivities that go into that conversation. And just for the benefit of everybody, a wet market or a live animal market is when live animals are sold um, in order to have fresh meat for, for the person. And, or we talk about having people go into the forest and having bush meat, um, which means wild animals, they hunt in the forest and, and eat the meat of wild animals. And so some people do this for a delicacy, right? They want to be fancy. Or some people do this because there's no other option for their protein source. And they have to do this in order to survive. Regardless of the reason, I feel like it's very important for the people who are eating these animals understand the risks, right? And know of other options. But also to create and understanding for people who don't rely on these animals for their food um, to understand why people do this. Again, it could be somebody being fancy or it could be because they need to survive. So um, these conversations, as you can imagine, need to have certain nuances. And so the people in the communities around the world um, are volunteering to translate the message into a format that works well in their communities. That is a great one health approach, if I, if I may say so. Uh, and I'm not sure if you planned it this way, but having these one health lessons has been very timely, right? Not only, I mean, because of the ongoing pandemic, uh, it also offers some great lessons for, for teachers and maybe some parents that maybe find themselves teaching remotely and at home. But these lessons, they're not just for remote learning and teaching, right? I mean, they can also be done face-to-face -face when we come to that point. Absolutely. And in some areas of the world where it's safer to do so right now, they have been doing it. Just yesterday, I got an email from somebody with some photos. Um, he was teaching a class. I think the students were between the ages of 11 and 18. It was in Nigeria. And I saw the photos. There are at least 50 students in this one class. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was using the chalkboard 
and just doing the same activities as what's on the website on the PowerPoint version, um, but using that on the ground. Another person in another area of Nigeria just printed out the PowerPoints and then used that in person because he was teaching a group of about 20 students instead of 50. That's a big difference. Um, and then I know of somebody in Peru who climbed up the top of a mountain into this very small community that's technically a, a tourist community. And that's how they typically survive as, as a community. They sell goods and wares to tourists. But given the pandemic, it shut down, right? There's no tourists coming in. Right. Um, but this, this man who's actually a veterinarian, um, he certainly did not forget about them. And so he went up to the top of the mountains where the clouds meet the mountains. And he showed me pictures of him teaching a group of about 10 students and he brought his laptop. And so they just did it in Spanish, of course, um, on his laptop and they were all watching the same screen. So there are lots of different ways to do this. Uh, there are plenty of students in California who are being taught this over Zoom or during, you know, throughout another virtual platform. Yeah, some some great examples in how these lessons are being taught. So you've launched One Health Lessons. It's been nine months or so. Can you tell us a little bit? I mean, what's been the reception from both the student perspective and the, and the teacher perspective on these lessons? Thanks for that. The student perspective has been overwhelmingly great, as well as the teacher perspective. I do get post-lesson surveys filled out from the full-time teachers. And typically what happens is that we have guest science speakers go into these lessons as like science role models. And you only you have to be only 18 years old in order to be a science role model. And that actually, uh, that's affiliated with the lesson leaders program that we can talk about later. But when it comes to the post lesson surveys, the teachers overwhelmingly say that they really enjoy it. Um, there are teachers who are affiliated with six year olds and then there are uh, university professors who've used the material with their own students. Um, I remember this one email that I got from a nine-year-old student who wrote a thank you note, which I thought was just so nice. It's so nice to receive thank you notes. And always this, appreciated. Yeah. Always appreciated. And this nine-year-old in California was mentioning that um, there are two favorite parts of the lesson that he liked with COVID-19 lesson. Um, again, a part of the COVID-19 lesson reviews mutations. Right? And mutations happen by accident most of the time, and they're hard to predict sometimes, and that's why we have to do sequencing and things like that. And case in point, what's going on in the UK and South Africa and with the variant of COVID. But um, for these mutations, there's uh, a tongue twister that goes through point mutations with the students. And then there's another activity that goes through genetic reassortment, which is when in a virus case, um, one virus combines with a different type of virus inside a body, and let's say a body of a pig, for instance, and they combine and they create a whole new virus. And that actually happens with swine flu. And that that's how 
a bird virus and a human virus and a pig virus all combine into one instead of a pig. And that's why swine flu is such an issue because it can go to people because it has that people component in it. Anyway, so there's a really fun activity with phrases and, and sentences with that for the students. And the student wrote me a thank you note that said um, that that activity was his favorite part. And when he told his parents that when one virus can combine with another virus to make a whole new virus, they were surprised. And with that thank you note, with that message, I it was obvious that by teaching one generation, you actually teach more than one generation. Right. Teaching a whole household, uh, teaching those that come into contact with those that uh, just got these lessons. That's amazing. And that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing. And I know that you've touched on a couple of initiatives, which is your, your language translation uh, initiative. And then you briefly mentioned your internships. Can you talk about that um, a little bit more? What is the internship program like and how can people find out more and become involved? Great. Thanks for this. With the internship program, right now I started the fourth class of interns just recently. And interns have to be at least 18 years old. I do not care what major you're in. I don't care if you're necessarily associated with the university. I don't care your age, except for you have to be 18 years old. So this internship is like a barter system. There's no money involved, but what you can do is contribute as an intern, your passion, your dedication, your commitment to expanding the message of One Health Lessons, again, and the mission which is again, to inspire every child and adult on the planet to value One Health. But in return for that, what you get is personalized mentorship from me in networking, leadership, communication skills, and you work with a multicultural and multidisciplinary team that's international. My first class of interns started with two people, one from Canada, one from Ecuador. And then my second class had 14 people at this time right now, we have had interns from starting off in Asia, Indonesia, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Canada, US, Mexico, Brazil, Ecuador, Nigeria, Uganda, Turkey, North Macedonia, and Ukraine and Pakistan. Well, that's amazing. I don't know how you can remember all that, but th that is quite the web. That's quite the reach. I've been very fortunate with um, really high quality uh, individuals who are passionate about One Health just reaching out from across the world. Oh, and the way to apply for this. Heads up, everybody. When the this class of interns ends, it's going to be at the end of April. So at the start of April, on my LinkedIn account and also on the website of OneHealthLessons.com, I will be posting an announcement as well as on all of our social media um, that there's going to be an opportunity to apply. And with the application, you have to submit a letter of intent. Why do you want to be a part of this internship program? Number two, um, your resume. And number three, one to two letters of recommendations. From there, if you pass um, the first round, then you get invited to do an interview. And that interview is typically around 20 to 30 minutes long. And so it's a two-step process to apply for an internship. 
Great. And it sounds like an awesome opportunity. So hopefully our listeners can, can check that out. Um, any other initiatives coming up with One, One Health Lessons that you can, can talk about or share? Sure. There's a lesson leaders program that's happening. And I mentioned it just very briefly a little bit ago, but the lesson leaders program is something that is instrumental to this global One Health education movement that's happening. The, the lesson leaders program is a training opportunity for anybody who wants to serve as a science role model in schools, either in your community or somewhere else around the world, but of course that would be virtual. And it's a four-step process. Number one, you go to an orientation session online where you learn how to communicate with children of various ages. Certainly a six-year-old learns differently than a 16-year-old, so you have to speak with them uh, to them in a different way, right? Number two, you watch a YouTube video of me teaching lessons that are um, associated with one particular age group, and then you take a quiz, and as long as you pass the quiz, then you can advance to the third step, which is observe and assist where needed a lesson that takes place in California with live students. And the last step is you lead the lesson with California students. Um, and there'll be somebody who's available to help you, who could assist and observe you. After the fourth step, you get a certificate and you're a certified lesson leader with One Health Lessons. After that point, if you can teach the lessons five times in your own community or in California or in another area of the world, and we have documentation that you've taught these lessons, then you become a One Health Lessons ambassador. From there, you can teach other people in your own community how to take those four steps, those four initial steps, and have more people become certified lesson leaders. So that's how we grow in an exponential way rather than a linear way. Awesome. And uh, that information is also on the website? It's on the website, um, but particularly it's on the YouTube channel. And so I encourage everybody to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just type in One Health Lessons. There you will find many different interviews with various interns. You'll find interviews with professors and specialists from around the world. Um, you'll hear about the art and music contest um, contestants who won and who were also runner-ups from around the world. And also, actually, I should mention, if you want to smile today, go to OneHealthLessons.com, go to the gallery section, and go into the art and music contest folder. There you're going to see a lot of different uh, winners around the world of this art and music contest that demonstrated what One Health means to them. And in the preteen category, there are these students who are singing in Spanish about One Health and they're from Colombia. And it is just one of the nicest things you can see. It, my mouth dropped when I saw this. It's so inspiring and there's English subtitles. Awesome. You've sold me. I think as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go check that out. Aside from uh, One Health Lessons, I know you're also working on a book on science communication. Can you tell me more about that? Thanks for that question. When it comes to the book, I created it because 
I realized that scientists in general, and when I say scientists, I mean engineers, technologists, mathematicians, clinicians, dentists, you know, physicians, vets, we all are really good at what we do, right? We're all specialists in some ways, but it's a bit difficult to speak to the general public about what we know. And I designed this book in three parts. It's a way for scientists to explain what they know in terms that work well for the audience, be it for children, be it for the community members, or be it for lawmakers at a federal level, at a state level. And the reason why I could talk about how to communicate science to um, lawmakers is because I was working on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC as a science policy advisor. And in that role, I was taking a lot of science meetings with scientists, esteemed scientists sometimes um, from around the country, if not world, And after these meetings, I have some colleagues come up to me and they say, Deb, can you translate that for me? Deb, can you, can you write this up in a way that we'll understand? And so they're really well-intentioned people that come and they want to make a difference, but they're missing the mark. And so I saw these issues come up so many times that I needed to write this book in order to improve science communication on all different levels. That sounds great. As you mentioned, science, veterinary medicine um, sometimes can feel like a whole different language. And um, so that's what I teach to my students. And that's why they're in school is as part of it is to to learn that language. And so we look forward to your book. And how can we find out more about the book? So uh, if you join me on LinkedIn, uh, Deborah Thompson, DVM. So Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H. Thompson without a P, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, DVM, that stands for Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. You'll find me on LinkedIn, and certainly there it will be the first announcement to launch the book. Awesome. We look forward to that. As we end the podcast, um, can I ask you, as you reflect on your career and and you know your tremendous success uh, th- this year, uh, do you have any advice for anyone considering a career in the veterinary and animal sciences? Absolutely. I would say stay curious and listen to your passions. You can get to vet school with any major you want in undergrad. You just have to take the prerequisite courses. And nowadays I feel like more and more veterinary schools are looking for more well-rounded people. So you don't need to be an animal science major. You don't need to be a physiology major. I had friends who were art majors. I had friends who were French majors. They just had to do very well in their prereqs and their GREs. So what I would say, if you are in your undergraduate degrees right now, follow your passion. There will always be time for veterinary medicine, but realize that whatever else you plan to do in your undergraduate, it will eventually lead into a veterinary career if you wish it to in a positive way. And when I was teaching, it certainly had helped me with my communication skills in vet school as well as in my vet career. Awesome. Thanks for that. And that's some great advice. My guest has been Dr. Deborah Thompson. She's a veterinarian and founder and president of One Health Lessons. Thank you so much for your time today. And I wish you much continued success.
Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation and I wish everybody listening a happy and healthy new year. And um, I hope that you continue to be one health advocate and consider becoming a lesson leader, if not a intern with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast. You can find all the resources and links discussed on today's program in the episode's show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and we'd love to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes to theacademicvet at gmail.com. Bye.